Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. COVID-19 was almost like a magnifying glass for the parts of motherhood and life that you have been struggling with in some way. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, having listened to hundreds of mummers over the last few months about which parts of this year they've struggled with the most. And don't get me wrong, there's been many, many blessings that are coming out of this time. But in my communities, in my village, as we call it, I'm hearing mothers who are really struggling with some of the practical ways of supporting their children. Children who may be struggling, children with big emotions, big, big emotions. Children who, even at the best of times, have problems processing information, sensory overload, learning difficulties, separation anxiety, all of the different things that as mamas we have to face on a daily basis anyway. And then you put it in the mixing pot of COVID-19 over the last few months and many, many of us have been asking ourselves, how do we do this better? How can I support my child without losing myself? How do I keep my calm when they are definitely not calm? How do I regulate my emotions and reactions when there's almost certainly not? One of the things I adore about my work is that I create communities of mamas. And yes, I share many things with those communities about matrescence and motherhood and womanhood. But actually, in those communities, often others rise too. Mamas lift each other up. They put their hand up and say, I actually know a bit about that. That's what I do for a job. Or, I've been through that. This really helped me. It's the best thing. Sometimes I just stand back and marvel at how I'm not needed. They're just in there supporting each other reaching out to each other, creating friendships, sharing their expertise. And that's where this podcast came from. In my beautiful community, many mamas were talking about these struggles that they're having with their children. And one mama, Heidi Garcia, put her hand up and said, this is what I do for a living. I've got some ideas that may help. And instead of just sharing it with that small village, I asked her to come onto the podcast and share it. 
Heidi is based in Canada. She has been an occupational therapist for 15 years. And in this interview, she shares with you what I hope is a brand new way of looking at how important it is for you to work on you first, even in the middle of this chaos of this year, that your emotions matter. She also shares a brand new way, for me at least, of how to understand your child and their needs, the way that they process information and what they need to process information. It is a value-packed interview from a mama that I have been, from a mama who I have known in my programs for, we think it's about five years, Heidi's been doing my programs. It is a great honor to bring her to you. And at the end of this interview, I will share some extra resources she has suggested if you would like to understand your child and your emotions better. Enjoy. to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realised that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me. And since then dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Heidi, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's lovely to talk to you. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here, Amy. Thanks for having me. We've known each other online for a long time. We were trying to remember when you first joined one of my programs, thinking it's maybe five or even six years ago. You're in Canada. I'm obviously in Australia. But over the last few years, we've really been able to connect through the beautiful mama communities that come out of my programs. And um, I know that being a part of that has really helped you with your own mamahood experience, your own matrescence journey. Do you want to share just what that has been like over the last five years or so first, and then we'll dive into how you can help others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think when I first connected with you, I was a mom of two young boys. They're a year and a half apart. They were probably 
two and three. And so maybe a bit younger, I was just in the throngs of motherhood and feeling like I've had a lot of knowledge, but this motherhood thing is intense and being home all the time with uh, the kids was surprising. And now you've amazingly put words to it in matrescence and how that change of motherhood really changes who we are and being just incredible growth that happens through that time. Um, and the community of mamas that I found here have just been one of the most grounding and supportive uh, guides and um, supports on this journey. It really has, hasn't it? It's been this beautiful um, experience of all of us growing together, um, you know, from toddlers and babies to school-age children and now to be going through COVID-19 and isolation and lockdown together. It's just been such a gift to feel like we have a community that we connect with even if we're in our homes. Absolutely. And to know that mums all around the world are doing and coping with the same things and are able to support each other and through this circle that we have created this big global circle that can uphold us and encircle us and support us even in those moments when we feel like oh man this is really tough oh, and it is you know this is the thing that I just want to say to everyone listening you know even though I've been teaching this and holding space for this and practicing this myself for more than a decade as a mama and then gathering women together like Heidi for more than five six years it doesn't mean that there aren't some days where my chest feels tight and my mind is spinning and I feel like I've lost myself in this whole motherhood journey again but the difference is I recognize it and I know exactly what to do every single time now. And so it's not as if this never happens. It's that quote that we use a lot, isn't it, Heidi, in all of my programs that's originally from Gabrielle Bernstein, which is, I used to live in the darkness with flashes of light. I now live in the light with flashes of darkness. I feel like we're really living that right now, aren't we? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. And even just a few years ago, how different this would have been if this had happened just a few years ago to just not have these tools in place to be able to support us when those feelings of overwhelm or pressure rises up. It's been such a gift to experience this with you and so many. Yes. And to notice, and we need to notice how we're feeling and our emotions before we can manage or do anything about it. And it's that pause and notice that I've really realized has supported me now in this time, even though I may not always do the thing that is the best way to react in a moment, but I notice when I'm getting overwhelmed. I notice when I'm getting frustrated or angry or I need space and then I can do something about it. Exactly. So in our community of mamas, uh, particularly at the moment, everyone comes in and shares what they're struggling with and uh, leans into the group for support. We come together regularly for calls and meditations and have this really beautiful experience of 
um, being vulnerable, as Brené Brown would say, and, and experiencing and sharing what we're struggling with. And you reached out to me, as we do in our beautiful group, because you saw that a lot of mamas were struggling with something in particular at home right now with their children. And as an occupational therapist for more than 15 years, this is what you specialise in. And again, this is what happens when mamas come together. We put our hand up and say, oh, that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. I can help you with that. And your experience and insight was so good that I actually wanted you to come onto the podcast to speak to my greater community, not just the ones in returning home right now, to talk about this because it is really intense being at home with little ones. And if you have on top of that children who struggle with self-regulation or sensory processing or any of those issues, we really want to remember the tools we can use for them and ourselves. So talk to me about what we need to remember as mamas during this time if we have children who are struggling with this. One of the first places I like to start is sort of thinking about just sensory input. And we all, as human beings, we are always taking in input. We're processing it and responding. Like that's being alive, being human. But our experience of how we process and um, that input is very, can be very different. And so there's kind of four different ways often that we can take in and process this information. And as I talk about them, you might see some of them in yourself or in your kids, and sometimes they're different. Um, and so it's just sort of an interesting way to start of a different way to kind of maybe understand yourself and how you take in and process the world as well as that of your children. Mm. So we have the kids who are seeker kids. These are kids that they are on the move all the time. They're active. They're seeking out what they want. They need more, more, more. They need more movement, more noise. And if they don't get it, they're going to find a way to get it. I have one of these in my house and it's fascinating because I can feel calm and quiet and he's sitting there bouncing and making drumming noises on the table and just making noises all the time. And on, I'm the exact opposite of him. I'm a sensor. I notice everything and my threshold is very low. It doesn't take much for me to sort of start to feel overwhelmed. And especially with a lot of those noises and all the activity um, that's going around me, it can make me feel more stressed because it doesn't take much for my threshold to be met, but it takes a time for his threshold to be met. And so we can kind of, we have different needs in that moment. And so then we need to kind of figure out how to make that work. So those are the first. So there's a seeker who needs more and is seeking it out. There's the sensor who is noticing, sensitive, and will retreat. And then we have the kids that are, and adults, I mean, these are all people, we all fall on the spectrum, who need more input, but it takes, they don't notice, they don't register. We call them sort of, they just don't, um, low registration, they're low registers. So these are people that are a little bit more tuned out, zoned out, a little bit more, they need 
you to kind of the kids that they need you to put a hand on their shoulder, come right up to them and say, I'm asking you to do this. Did you hear me? Because if you say it from the other room, they're lost in their own little world, happy as can be. <laughs> I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, so they also, like the seeker, need more input to be engaged and to learn and to do things. Um, but they aren't going to seek it out. They're just, they're happy in their little world. Where the seeker's going to seek it, these ones are just... Yeah, I'm good over here. And then we have the avoiders. And those are like sensors in that they notice everything, but they are going to actively do something about it. If they, um, if it's too loud or if it's too much, they're going to retreat. These are kids that are going to hide. They're going to go under a couch. They're going to flee and they're going to shut down really, really quickly. And so they need less input because they're noticing things, but they're going to retreat. Whereas the sensor will kind of like grit their teeth, dig in their fingernails. It's okay. I can hold it together until you have an explosion. The avoider is going to retreat and run away. Wow. How have I gotten to this age of my life and not understood these four categories? That has just made so much sense to me, Heidi. How did we, how do we not know this? <laughs> well, this framework was developed actually by an occupational therapist, Winnie Dunn, and in the United States. And it's just, is such a fan, I love it as a way to just think about, and we can kind of in different, vastly in a few different areas. Mm. But I think it's just so important, first of all, to understand for ourselves as moms, what our needs are, what our triggers are, but then how does that relate to our kids? And like I said, sometimes there's a fit and it, you know, we might both be seekers. So we're always, you know, let's go for a run. Yeah. Let's listen to loud music. Yeah. But then when there's not a fit, for example, when my son's making all this noise beside me and all I want is quiet, it doesn't fit. So one strategy that works really well for me is if I put music on in the background, then there's noise in the background. And so that is enough for him to stop making noise. I can have control over what maybe kind of music is playing, but he stops constantly sort of just making noise just to make noise. And we can all feel calmer and ready to kind of engage. And when we're at home together all the time, finding the tools and strategies that work for everyone in your household is even more important than at any other time. Oh, I totally agree. And I, my mind is full of questions. So I'm going to be guided by you on the best way to come to tools and conclusions for mamas here, because I feel like we could talk for hours to try and understand this. But even just immediately, I can see which child falls in which category, but also where my husband and I fall. And just, for example, the low registration type, the one that really sort of zones out and needs input and needs that hand on the shoulder, did you hear what I said, is almost... Um, you know, not grounded, I would say, about my particular child in this, just always in her head and off doing her own things. To get her to sit down and do online learning 
is proving to be so exceptionally difficult. And it makes sense when you realise that that's because this is the way she learns, this is the way she processes information. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. And when our, it all comes down to our neurological systems, right? And when those needs aren't met, then we aren't in the optimal space for learning, right? And so we have to kind of figure out what is like the green zone, like to call it. What is that just right zone where we can listen, where we can learn, we're calm but alert because we need to be both of those things to be able to learn, but also to be able to play together, to make good choices, to not yell, right? To be able to use a tool. And so for each one of those um, types, figuring out what are the tools and strategies to be calm and alert so that you can learn and thrive. I love it. I just want to interrupt here for a moment and say that the audio quality of this episode and most of my podcasts at the moment are not like they usually are because I'm not home by myself and in a nice little quiet uh, corner of my house. So my seeker, my busy little noisy boy downstairs is downstairs going doing all of the noises. So we're going to uh, excuse all of the background noises for these podcasts because this is just the time we live in right now. So I just wanted to add that in, Heidi. So is it best for us now to go through what does a seeker need? What does a sensory one need? Can we go through tools for each of them? Pointing out here that these tools are not just for our children, but they're for ourselves to support us in this time as well. Absolutely, yes. And that's where figuring out what kinds of tools, and sometimes it's similar tools, um, but just looks a little bit different right? And that's going to get those low registers um, out of sort of that low, slow, zoned out zone up to the green and get those seekers and avoiders out of sort of the yellow worry zone of anxiety and stress and calm and ground their nervous systems. So it's alerting. It's just even just thinking about, do I need to alert? Like, lift up, do something that's like energizing, or do I need something that comes down and is calming and regulating? Mm. Great. And let's one of, through, yes, let's go through each of those and then um, we'll have a chat about regulation and things like that as well. Yes, absolutely. So for our seekers, in, also, I, I start with them only because um, they, we see them, we hear them, we very much know their presence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we often can see and hear and know exactly what they need based on what they're doing. So when they're making lots of noises and jumping around and crashing and banging, their body needs that heavy input, that deep, they need movement, but not just like a running around, like push-ups or really heavy work, like um, they're, these are the kids that are awesome to like help you with groceries. They like jumping on the trampoline, um, doing wall sits or things that are going to give their bodies and their muscles, all the big muscles, lots and lots of input that's really grounding and regulating. Mm. Um, and again, if they're making noises, it's often because they want 
they just, they need that. They need more. They can't handle just quiet. And so when they, so when they don't have what they need, they're going to add it in. And so that's why for, in our house, we often have music playing in the background because then it provides that input and meets that need. So the child doesn't need to create the noise. Right. And so when you need a seeker child to sit quietly, to learn or to do an activity that they might not be that thrilled about, is it best to get their body involved or to have music in the background or try and engage that part of them? Often doing something right before they work, before they sit. So give their body some input, have them do some jumping jacks or do some I like to do even wall push-ups right so they have to hold up the wall and really try and push um, give their body some input before they need to sit the other thing is is sometimes kids love to have a little a cushion or a pillow on their seat so that they can wiggle while they're working some of these kids work best standing up at a table a chair isn't always the optimal seat for them or sometimes um, there's, I don't know what you call it in Australia, we call it like TheraBand, it's like stretch band. You use oh, like yes. if you have an injury. Even tying one of those around the legs of your chair so the child can just lift their legs, stretch it and kick it and they're getting lots of input, but they're not bouncing around and maybe driving you a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> With just, the constant movement. That's right. It just... As you speak about this, I just think of the vast difference that we are approaching parenthood and mummerhood and learning. Then even when I was a child, you know, children had to sit still. They just, there was no differentiation between different ways of being and learning. It was children were expected to sit still at the table, on your bottom, you know, sitting there for the whole time. There was, it's just a beautiful realisation of how much better we are doing right now in honouring individuality in each of our children. Absolutely. And, you know, even helping them to understand, like, wow, it looks like you really need to move today. I wonder what we can do, you know, and getting them to problem solve. Kids often have fantastic ideas and intuitively know some of the things that they need if we also ask them. And then we also need to come back and ask ourselves, okay, why is this really driving me so batty today? Oh, I didn't sleep well. And maybe I'm a bit hungry. And also I'm really sensitive to this today. So maybe I just need to sort of also take a break or just take some breaths myself or do something to ground myself so that I'm more able to manage when things aren't exactly how I'm expecting they're going to go. This might be a deviation from our main points of working through the four, but I'll just quickly ask this. Can your sensory processing change? Because I recognise that I feel like I'm a real sensory type at the moment. If there's a lot of noise, you know, the, the, the noise of the three children sometimes really gets me quite affected. But I don't think I've always been like this. I think before the intensity of motherhood, I was probably a seeker. I was always busy. I was always doing. And so is this something that can change as you get older or because of your environment? 
our environment can hugely affect um, how we are. And when you think about also stress, right, there's lots of things that all play in to uh, our neurological systems and how organized they are. And so different kinds of stressors can also make us more sensitive to things maybe we didn't used to even notice or be as sensitive to. Yes. And so it's the whole kind of neurological system and stress also is playing in here at the same time. Mm, that makes perfect sense. And as you said, depends on sleep, depends on whether you've eaten it depends on how much social media you've consumed today. Depends on your child's, but you know your child's mood. All of those things. No, that's wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so what about a sensor? So our sensors really need um, structure and routine. They have lots of checklists, familiarity, repetition. They just really are kids that thrive on sort of that calm, serene environment. Now, I'm, we can't always create that in our homes right now, but noticing what are the inputs that are most um, bothersome or distracting for them and what are the things that are more organizing for them can help to tailor. So if it's loud noises that are bothering them, again, that music in the background can help. Even, and actually for many of our kids, movement and that heavy muscle work can also ground and calm the nervous system to make it not feel so alerting and throwing our system into that fight or flight when we are noticing those things. So for the sensor as well, finding input and movement that's grounding, calming, regulating is also helpful for the sensor. And so when that sensory overload, I don't know if that's the correct term, but when that really kicks in, when you notice for yourself, if you are in this category or when you notice it in your child and it has become a bit too much, other than moving to maybe um, engage those heavy muscles, what else can we do? I know for many of the mamas in our community, we are, I see that they often get to that point of, oh, it's just too loud, it's just too much. What can we do? Yeah. And so we need to, our nervous system is entering fight or flight in that stage, which when that starts happening, the blood stops flowing to our frontal cortex and we stop being able to think or problem solve. And that's when we can start getting into overwhelm. So we need to use, find a tool that can calm our nervous system or multiple tools. Sometimes that means moving away from the situation, going to a calm, quiet, alone space. Um, One of our favorite tools in our house that is, we often all use, um, and this can be used across all four of the types, um, it's a pretzel. So it's very calming and regulating and organizing. So um, if people have space and hands, just you cross your hands one over the other and point your palms so they're facing each other with your thumbs down. Then you lace your fingers together so they're kind of clasped in front of you and fold them up towards your chest until you're 
fist is resting against your chest. So you kind of like a pretzel. Mm-hmm. And then you can also cross your other leg. Mm. And why does that work, Heidi? So there's four kind of main things. One is if you notice, it kind of takes a lot of thought and cognition yes. to organize that, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're also, your left and your right hand are crossing your midline, so the middle of your body. And what that does is it gets both sides of the brain talking to each other again, and it can get us out of sort of this of stuck patterns, that unhelpful patterns that we're in. And then while your fist is sort of against your chest, it's giving you that deep pressure, which is so grounding and calming. It's just that's that kind of big hug and that deep pressure touch for all people is very calming and regulating and reminds us I'm safe it's okay and then while we're in this space we can just take a couple of breaths and so breathing is well can help so it's kind of all of those different uh, body systems working together to calm our nervous system and remind our nervous system it's okay I don't, I'm not running from a bear right now. You're safe. You're okay. It's going to be okay. Wow. I love that. We will definitely be doing that in our house. This is one that I often, when I'm feeling myself and everyone's loud and it's, I can feel the whole house amping up. I may not always say calmly. I might sometimes say, everybody pretzel. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) And that's okay because then we all take that moment and we pretzel. And if it's, we need an extra, then we unpretzel and we use the other arm. Because again, that takes even more thought Mm -hmm. because it's not our dominant hand going over. And so it feels even more awkward. So it requires even more thinking. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you for that. That's a really beautiful tip. So let's go through the other two um, categories that you shared with us. The low registration or the low register and the avoiders. So our low registers, they just need more input like our seekers, but we often need to be a little bit more active in supporting and um, giving them the extra input because they might not notice. And so we can give them extra cues. Um, Kids that are low registers often help with having checklists and sort of just things to keep them on track. Um, And also finding the things that really engage them. So whether if um, if it's visuals that are more engaging, sort of finding ways to engage their strengths and their interests. Um, so that we can kind of keep them moving. And again, moving before we learn is often just, it gets the blood flowing and gets the brain moving. And so our low registers, they need alerting before they're able to focus. And so for your, uh, for, uh, and for yourself or for your child that maybe is a low register, finding the ways that you can get their whole nervous system a little bit more awake and alert because then their brain is alert and ready to learn. So I would imagine it's like turning on some fun music and jumping around before you need to sit down and concentrate. Those types of things would be really helpful. Absolutely, exactly. 
I've also noticed I once heard uh, Maggie Dent, who is a phenomenal expert on raising boys here in Australia. Uh, she says that with boys often, um, it, you know, they're really concentrating on their game of Lego, for example. They're all in, they're all focused on that. And you talk to them and you feel like they're just ignoring you. They're not, they're just so involved in what they're doing. And if you just walk over to them and put your hand on the back of their neck and just give it a little rub, and say, for example, my little boy, hey, Cass, they'll just look up as if, oh, where did you come from? And just that touch, just that interaction will allow them to hear what you're saying. And that changed my parenting with my son, Heidi. And I love it that Maggie also said, by the way, it works wonderfully with husbands too. So, um, but just I'm thinking the same thing for these types of children and people that sometimes they might just need that little bit of extra engagement. You can't get them to do something from the other room. You'll need to go in there, engage with them, kind of look in their eyes or touch their arm and have that interaction so they then can take that action that you want them to. Exactly. And when we understand our kids in a different way, it sometimes can also help our frustrations because we know, you know what? I know I can't yell from the other room. I've got to be right there. And that can help us to ease our anxieties and frustrations. So it just helps everything move and flow more smoothly. Absolutely. That's what it was. It just stopped me thinking that it was going to work from the other room. I, I and, and then I'd get super frustrated and same with my husband when he'd try and do it. So no, it was really helpful. Okay. And then we have the avoiders. Yes. So the avoiders, once they get too much, they just shut right down mm-hmm. and nope, I'm not doing it. Nope. No, thank you, mommy. No, nope, not today. No, I'd rather not. <laughs> If they're feeling calm, otherwise, now run, slam door, hide. <laughs> I may for also every, have one of these. <laughs> I was about to say, for every mother who's listening to this who has one of those, you're all just like, oh, yeah, I've got one of them. <laughs> what do we do with our beautiful avoiders? And so these kiddos really, less is more. And so when we have a household of one of each, you know, it can be um, a, a bit of a dance figuring this out. Um, it's not that they don't like the, you know, bouncy, crazy frog dance, but they might not need it as long as the sensor seeker. Um, and they might need more breaks and they might just need to chunk things a little bit more. Um, and for avoiders, familiarity and routine really calms their nervous system. So predictability helps their nervous system feel safe and then they're able to be their best, their calm, alert, and ready to learn. And so when they start disengaging, often it's not helpful to keep push, push, pushing, or else you're going to hit that fight, flight, slam door, run away. So take a breath. All right, it looks like this is hard. We need to take a break. Let's plan. How can we do this differently? Um, And having just a quick retreat, I get outside, I retreat to the room and then come back and then they'll get it done super fast. Mm. But the more we push, the faster they'll likely go into fight or flight and then nothing's happening and it's not good for anybody. 
But I can hear you saying there that it's important. I mean, obviously, if they're two, then it's going to be different. But for slightly older children, to invite them to think of what they could do now in that break, like what do you need right now? If that's become too much, too overwhelming, you're done with it, okay, what do you need instead? To allow them to self-regulate a little and discover how they can balance themselves because this is going to be a life long thing learning how we learn learning how we process things right and I'm still learning the tools that are the best for me and most supportive and so I think the more we can empower our kids oh it looks like you're starting to get frustrated really that right that noticing I wonder what your body needs right now I wonder what we could do um, and do that problem solving and trying to catch them when they're in that yellow zone where it's that like I'm starting to lose control but I can still come back and learn because if we don't help them and support them or ourselves when we're in yellow that's when we get the out of control yelling screaming slamming doors and so we want to try to notice early enough so that we can use a tool to be calm and alert again. I remember when one of my children was very little a child um, support person in our local community health centre talked about some children are zero to 100 kids. There's not much of the yellow zone. They're good and then suddenly they're really not good. And that yellow zone is almost hard to decipher at times. I think when we talk about children who struggle with self-regulation, those ones that really... um, some of the mamas in our community talk about that it's just really difficult and challenging to know what these children need. Is this about as best you can with deep compassion, trying to find those very small yellow zone indicators? Is that the best way to work with children who are, as it was described to me, zero to a hundred? Yeah. And they don't notice they don't notice their yellow zone. And so that's where as moms and parents, we need to, and adults that are supporting our little kiddos, they don't, no one likes to be in the red zone. No one likes to be out of control. And so we really need to get on like our detective hat and, um, and microscope or, um, and really just try and figure, okay, notice those subtle yellow cues and clues and do some experimenting and be curious okay I wonder okay that didn't work so well I wonder what else we can do that and it's not easy it's it's hard work um but no child wants to be in red zone um when kids can they do and when they can't we as adults want to figure out ways that we can support them so that they can and so being that detective and trying to figure out those subtle yellow signs my seeker son he has a giggle where most people think oh he's having fun I'm like oh no that's his if I'm about to lose control giggle because he just revs up higher and higher and higher and if we don't help him regulate in that moment then we I know we're gonna have full meltdown tears everything is a big deal and so it's really trying to start to just Sometimes it's just having little um, notes of, ooh, okay, that happened again at this time. Or 
whether it's something that happened or a behavior and starting to just notice different things and just experimenting and trying different tools and strategies a little bit earlier. Yes, so true. My son makes a noise as well. His is a super frustrated noise. He just goes, mm, and he just starts making this noise, whether it's, it, it can be over the tiniest things, but that's, that's the indicator that things are starting to really piss him off. Like the smallest things are starting to get big and it's like, whoop, catch this because if we don't, it's going to be big very quickly. I just want to finish by, as always, I listen to what you've been saying. I think about what we do every day, how much is on a mama's mind day in, day out, 24-7. What does this child need? What does that child need? How, where is the yellow zone with this child? What do I need? How can I do this? It's so phenomenal what we do each day, isn't it? To try and ensure that these kids are doing well and we're doing well. It's really, really important for us to put as much time and energy into noticing where our yellow zones are and what we need to be able to do this as well. Absolutely. Because before kids are able to self-regulate, they co-regulate. So that means their regulation is coming off of our emotions. Oh, that's So if our emotion is anxious and stressed and overwhelmed, that's the emotion that they're learning to. But if we are able to find our space of calm and our green zone, then that's where they can co-regulate. And from that space, we'll have more success with supporting them to learn how to self-regulate. Co-regulation. Wow. If I'd, what a beautiful way to look at how important it is for mamas to look after themselves. Absolutely. Wow. And, and that's where that's where we start, right? That's why we start by taking care of ourselves as mums, because then we can be curious, we can be that detective, and we can be that co-regulator. And if we're not able to be in that space, then it's going to be really hard for our kids to be in that space. Mm. Thank you so much, Heidi. I just, it really fills my heart right now to be able to have this beautiful community of mamas step up, or as my book is called, Mamas Rising Together, to support each other, that we are all in our own way able to contribute to each other. We've all got insights and understandings and learnings and occupations that we can share with each other. It just is a beautiful thing that I'm witnessing within our community and around the world. So I so appreciate this. I've learned so much. I know mamas are going to love this interview. Well, and thank you so much for having me and for this honour. And it's just one piece of the puzzle, but if it's one piece that might just help solve that one really stressful moment of your of mama's day, then I hope that that is a gift that I was able to share. It really will. And I'm going to ask you to send me some resources, maybe some websites or books if mamas are particularly interested in this. I will put Heidi's recommendations into the show notes so that you can explore and find out more. So thank you so much again, beautiful. Thank you. 
It is such an honour to be able to bring these beautiful mamas of my community to all of you. As I said right at the beginning, it's one of the best parts of what I've been doing over all these years, is to not only be sharing my understanding and insight and research into matrescence and motherhood and womanhood, but also to raise others up too. We're meant to be doing this in a village. We're meant to be leaning on each other. Everybody has something to contribute. I hope you got a lot out of Heidi's insights and can now understand your child and yourself even better. Remembering that at first our children need us to regulate our emotions so that they too can learn how to regulate. If you go to the show notes, you'll see plenty of resources and support that Heidi has recommended. And you can also go to her website, which is bloomingabilities.com. Again, it is in the show notes. And also, if you want to learn how to be more calm, if you want to understand your own emotions, your own triggers, how to release them, how to be calm in the moment, you can get my five days to calm online program, which has been taken by more than 3,000 mummers over the years for just $29 right now. Just go to amytaylorkabaz.com, click on programs, and you'll see it listed there. Five days to calm. This is a really beautiful first step to understanding your own emotional reactions, especially with everything that's happening right now. Until next week, Satnam. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.